So thinking about like the basic materials sector, you know, we think that lithium will be undersupplied over the next decade. We think there's a lot of opportunities for investors you know, in that specific area. You're listening to IBKR Podcasts. Find more conversations at ibkrpodcasts.com. Please remember any trading discussions are for information purposes only and are not intended to portray recommendations. Please listen to further disclosures at the end of today's episode. Now, welcome to our show. Welcome, everybody, to today's IBKR podcast. I'm delighted to be here with Morningstar's Chief U.S. Market Strategist, David Sequeira. How are you, David? I'm doing well. Thank you for joining me today. Um, we're going to go straight into today's discussion. Um, David, in reviewing your earlier work, uh, Morningstar talked about several headwinds at the start of 2022. Could you define for the audience those headwinds and where you see things today? Of course. Well, as you mentioned, Andrew, you know, in our 2022 outlook, you know, we did note that coming into the year, you know, based on our calculations, you know, we viewed the market as overvalued and noted that there were four main headwinds that the market was going to have to contend with this year. So first was just, you know, the slowing rate of economic growth that our U.S. economics team was projecting. You know, the Federal Reserve, you know, to tighten monetary policy. And of course, inflation was already running hot, mm -hmm. you know, even at that point in time. And we also expected the interest rates, you know, would be rising over the course of the year. So I think what we've seen here in the first half of the year is these headwinds, you know, as a combination have all certainly taken their toll on the markets. However, at this point, you know, based on a couple of different indicators we're watching in our forecasts, you know, we think that these headwinds are actually now starting to begin to dissipate. So between, you know, the market pullback that we've had already thus far this year, you know, that these headwinds are now starting to dissipate. Yeah, we actually think the broad market is undervalued today. Okay, so let's 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 turn to the outlook for growth. Given two back-to-back -back quarters of consecutive negative readings, what's Morningstar's expectation for GDP going forward? So right now, our current estimate for 2022 real GDP growth in the U.S. is two percent. And as you mentioned, you know, following two quarters of negative GDP growth, you know, what that really means for the second half of the year is that in order to achieve that growth rate for the full year, you know, that means the economy is going to have to average about a 3% annualized rate for the second half of the year. So thinking about the next couple of quarters, you know, we do expect that you know, many of those bottlenecks and some of the other supply shocks that we had you know, at the first half of the year, you know, those have been plaguing the economy. You know, those are, in our view, you know, starting to be resolved. And then looking at you know, some of the other details in the GDP reports, you know, the negative impact from net exports and inventories, you know, we believe those will abate over the next couple of quarters as mm -hmm. well. And then finally, to also note that, you know, in our forecast, we do project that consumption and investment, you know, should both continue to expand over the second half of the year. Okay, well, let's let's look at uh, inflation and interest rates. What's the outlook for monetary policy? Where is the Federal Reserve on its inflation fighting journey, David? Well, I do have to admit, you know, inflation has run even hotter thus far this year than what we had originally expected. And right now, our current forecast for inflation for the full year is 5.8%. So I would note that, you know, our head of U.S. economics, you know, he had opined that he thinks inflation actually peaked in June and that it will begin to moderate over the next few months. And in fact, I think looking at this most recent CPI report for July that came out this morning, yeah, that appears to support his analysis. Now, looking forward, you know, for investors, you know, his inflation forecast for 2023, you know, is down to 2%. And, you know, he believes that there's a number of different deflationary forces that will take hold in the latter part of 2023. 
So when I look at some of the main assumptions that support his forecast, is that you know while inflation is high, you know we expect that unwinding of you know several different price spikes that have been caused by those supply constraints, and think about you know areas that we've seen such as durables and energy. You know, as those price spikes start to moderate and come down, you know, that will certainly help bring the overall level of inflation down as well. You know, the other thing that he's pointed out is that much of the inflation we've seen has been contained in only a couple of different categories, you know, such as energy and the price of new automobiles. And so when we're thinking about inflation going forward, you know, we do note that, you know, inflation in both of those specific areas, you know, has been easing, you know, oil prices had hit their highs, you know, looks like they're starting to come down. So those prices have subsided and the semiconductor shortage, which had caused, you know, some of the price spikes in automobiles, you know, that shortage is easing as well. Okay, so let's let's bring that together as we as we look at the stock market and we look at valuation specifically. Where does all this leave the equity market now? Well, first I would note is I think we take a little bit of a different approach than many other research firms. And what I mean by that is our market valuation is built on a purely bottoms-up basis. So when I calculate our market valuation, that's based on a composite of about 700 stocks, which is covered by our equity research group that trade on U.S. exchanges. So we use those fair values as determined by the analysts and we'll calculate the fair value of the market based on that and compare it to where the market is actually trading. So for example, you know, as of August 5th, the broad market was trading at an 11% discount to those fair values. Now we are seeing a surge in the markets this morning, you know, following that encouraging inflation data. So that discount you know, would be slightly lower now, but even so we still think that the market overall you know, does have additional upside to reach our fair value. And, and so how do you break down valuation by category, for example? Sure. So we break down the broad market valuation, you know, several different ways. You know, the first is using the Morningstar style box. And so that breaks down the stocks into several different categories. So your value, your core, or also known as blend stocks, and then growth stocks. And then we also break it down by, you know, large, mid, and small. So the overall market, you know, as of last Friday, August 5th, was trading at 11% discount you know, overall, but looking at some of the different categories, like the value category was trading at a slightly greater discount that was at a 15% discount, and the growth category was also trading at a 13% discount. So both of those, in my view, look relatively attractive, whereas like the core category was only trading at a 4% discount, so again, much closer to fair value. And then even looking at, you know, by market cap, you know, we saw that the discount for large cap and mid caps, you know, were relatively similar at 10% and 11% respectively, but saw the best value for investors in that small cap category that was trading at a 27% discount to our fair value. And how about by classification? Sure. So we do also break down our valuations by the 11 major sector classifications. And when I look at those, I would note that the communication sector right now, in our view, that's the most undervalued, trading at a 32% discount to our fair value as of last Friday. Now, I would note you know, in the communication services sector, you know, that is going to be skewed. So when you look at that sector, you know, Alphabet, the parent of Google, and Meta, the parent of Facebook, you know, those two companies, because they're large, their market cap is so large, you know, they represent you know, over half of that sector's market cap. And we both and we think both of those stocks you know, are undervalued today. Now, having said that, you know, even in some of the more traditional areas in communications and media, you know, I'd note that we do think there's a lot of other stocks within there that are you know, undervalued as well. 
taking a look at some of the other sectors, you know, we look at the cyclical sectors, and of course, some of those have been, you know, the hardest hit by this year's sell-off. You know, we think that, that there's a number of different opportunities in those cyclical sectors. So looking at those, you know, basic materials, consumer cyclical, and financials, you know, those would be other areas, you know, that we point to, you know, today for investors to take a look at. And then within those individual sectors, you know, I always tried looking for, you know, secular themes that I think are interesting, you know, in today's marketplace. So for example, one of those themes I would note is that, you know, I think we have an above consensus view on the growth of electric vehicles. So we actually project that by 2030, two thirds of all new vehicles will be electrified, meaning either a battery electric vehicle or a hybrid vehicle. So one of the ways to be able to invest in that long-term secular growth trend is not necessarily just in the automakers, but also in the suppliers. So thinking about like the basic materials sector, you know, we think that lithium will be undersupplied over the next decade. And we think there's a lot of opportunities for investors you know, in that specific area. So for example, with lithium, you know, last year in 2021, I think is less than half a million tons of lithium were actually used but we expect that by 2030, that demand will increase to 3.3 million tons. But right now, looking at you know, the amount of producers out there and what their forecasts are for how much they can you know, produce by then, we forecast there's only gonna be 2.3 million tons available. So that should keep lithium prices high you know, for the next several years before it starts coming back down you know, to the marginal cost. You know, other ways that we look at to invest in that you know, electric vehicle growth theme would be in the specialty chemical companies, you know, it actually takes several times more specialty chemicals to produce an EV than an internal combustion engine. And so those specialty chemical providers with the product portfolio geared for those EVs, you know, we think those should do very well as well. So then turning you know, to the flip side of the coin, you know, looking at some of those defensive sectors, you know, they certainly did their job and they held up you know, relatively better you know, during this downturn. But we think that most of the defensive sectors are actually kind of fully valued to overvalued here. And the one that I would caution investors, you know, today would be the utility sector. So in our view, we think that sector is about 10% overvalued. And I'd also say that, you know, if we're wrong about inflation and inflation, you know, were to continue to run hotter for longer, that would be one of the sectors that I would think would be, you know, most at risk to the, the downside. So essentially, you know, utilities, they don't really have pricing power because they have to get approval from the regulators in order to raise rates. And so depending on the regulatory environment, you know, that could take anywhere from months to over a year to be able to put those cost increases through to their own clients. So now, David, you've, you've written about the, there's, there's a term I picked out you, that you use, the normalization of consumer behavior. You've mm -hmm. written about that recently. Can you, can you describe what that is and what the implications might be? Of course. So when you think about, you know, back at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, all spending came crashing down. But what I would note is that spending on goods, you know, that not only quickly recovered, but it actually had skyrocketed higher and higher than what kind of the pre-pandemic trend had been. Whereas spending shifted out of services and, you know, has really lagged, you know, that recovery. And when I think about spending, you know, that a lot of those categories that really did well, you know, we're maybe in like some of the electronics categories, you know, anything to do with supporting kind of that work at home environment, home entertainment, or, you know, home remodeling and redecorating, you know, as people were stuck at home, you know, that's really where that spending had shifted to. And of course, services, you know, lag just because consumers at that point in time were either unable or unwilling to go out in public. So now as, you know, the pandemic continues to recede, 
you know, we're seeing and expect to continue even more you know, that that spending and services category should continue to continue increasing as a percent of all spending you know, coming out of you know, those goods categories. So in order to return to what would have been you know, pre-pandemic trends, you know, our economics team is looking for about a $450 billion shift of spending out of goods and back into services. So what we've been looking for you know, are different ways to be able to invest in that. And so we're looking for you know, underlying you know, subsectors you know, that should benefit from that shift in spending. So for example, you know, in the travel industry, a lot of leisure travel has already recovered, but business travel has certainly lagged you know, far behind. And I know our consumer analyst team is forecasting that business travel should return to pre-pandemic levels by 2024. So I think that provides you know, some opportunities there. And so then we look for you know, undervalued opportunities you know, within some of the different sectors. So like areas that I would recommend investors to take a look at would be like airlines, you know, travel technology, cruise lines, you know, gaming, hotels, you know, those type of areas. You know, then I'd also say we could look at what I call like some of the second derivative investment opportunities out there where it's not necessarily that shift itself that will cause, you know, some of these stocks to do better, but, you know, kind of that second derivative where, you know, they'll see better operating margins because you have that shift, if that makes sense. So, for example, like one example I like to use is in alcohol consumption. So the amount of alcohol consumption, you know, really didn't decrease during the pandemic, but it shifted from on-premise to at home. And what our analysts noted is that, you know, consumers will purchase, you know, lower tier brands, which of course then have lower margins when they consume at home, as opposed to being more brand conscious when they consume in public. So as that consumption then shifts back to public, they go back to those higher tier, higher margin brands. You know, we think that will help generate you know, higher margins for those alcoholic beverage companies. David Sakara is the chief U.S. market strategist with Morningstar.com. You can read more from David. You can see his commentary at Morningstar.com. Thank you so much for joining us today, David. That's a fantastic insight into the U.S. economy and market. You can hear more from us at ibkrpodcast.com. Thank you very much, David. Oh, thank you. I appreciate your, t your time. Thanks for listening to IBKR Podcasts. As always, we have more episodes at ibkrpodcast.com. And if you're interested in learning more about interactive brokers, visit ibkr.com. We offer more trading education material, such as webinars at ibkrwebinars.com, financial and economic commentary at tradersinsight.news, market-related courses at tradersacademy.online, and quant-related articles at ibkrquant.com. The analysis in this material is provided for information only and is not and should not be construed as an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy any security. To the extent that this material discusses general market activity, industry or sector trends, or other broad-based economic or political conditions, it should not be construed as research or investment advice. To the extent that it includes references to specific securities, commodities, currencies, or other instruments, those references do not constitute a recommendation by IBKR to buy, sell, or hold such investments. The material does not and is not intended to take into account the particular financial conditions, investment objectives, or requirements of individual customers. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and is necessary, seek professional advice.